As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. This is Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United. And finally, I hear you cry, we are back. It's three days since that (laughs) defeat to Arsenal, but we're going to pour over the details of that disastrous finish to the game at the Emirates. We'll talk about the fallout since with Jadon Sancho and Eric Ten Hag. Also the situation with Anthony, of course, as well. And Laurie has been writing a piece in amidst all the live shows that have made me sound a little bit more Sean Dyche than normal about Manchester United's transfer window. First up, thank you every single one of you so much for coming out to the shows in Manchester and London. We have had the best two days ever working on these live shows. It's been absolutely fantastic. I'm not sure whether it's all the talking or all the drinking, but it's definitely made me hoarse. Andy, Laurie, Carl, everyone's here. Everyone's got a smile on their faces. What a fantastic couple of nights, Andy. Yeah, it was top. I'm still buzzing off it now. The, the number of people who turned up in that beautiful new Century Hall in Manchester. I don't know about you, but you could feel the, the warmth and the enthusiasm from the crowd. And they're the people who bought the tickets. And we got feedback afterwards and... Unless everyone was lying to me and thought it was crap. <laughs> they seemed to have a good time. And then we went down to London, slightly different crowd. We'd sold out of the Leicester Square Theatre, but just really enjoyable. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. I mean, Carl, we should be feeling much fresher after our night at the Mama Shelter, surely. <laughs> the Mama Shelter. Well, 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 Andy, the stories you told us about the Mama Shelter. Um, yeah, it was... They were all true. It was uh, quite the breakfast buffet, shall we say. What I loved was the toiletries. Oh, they're pretty snazzy, aren't they? Uh, you've got soap that says Mama likes it soft. Uh, you've got soap that says Mama keeps it fresh. Uh, face and body cream that says Mama has a soft spot for you. Uh, and then some more, uh, some kind of cream. Mama says have it all. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I nicked all of them afterwards. Good lad. Good lad. <laughs> Did you? <laughs> Take it as a souvenir. Why not? Um, if If... Some of you have no idea what we're talking about. We've been at Manchester, we've been at London the last two nights doing live shows. And that's why this podcast is coming to you slightly later on in the week. It's got nothing to do with United <laughs> getting beat. I've seen these conspiracy theories that have been going around that we don't do a podcast They're on straight you, yeah. after a game. If United lose, we only do it if they win. 
Well, they need to go back a couple of seasons. Did <laughs> I remember sitting in the Etihad, nearly crying, doing one one week. So um, yeah. there's definitely no truth in that. I mean, in terms of tears, there was no tears cried at the Emirates, Andy, but it was a gutting end, wasn't it? I mean, even three days on recording this at nearly nine o'clock on Wednesday night, it still hurts. Oh, it was minging that game on Sunday. <laughs> well, the, United played better than I thought they would because I thought it would be another defeat. The record at the Emirates in recent years has been appalling. Arsenal are very good. I went in the away end as opposed to the press box. At one point, someone's foot flew past my face. That was when Garnacho scored a great winner, except it wasn't a great winner. And I would have taken a draw all day long. Very unusual performance from Manchester United in terms of the, the way they play tactically, so defensively. I think... Onana and the defenders were the only people who weren't nervous watching it, but they were passing it around okay. And Marcus Rashford put United ahead. Fantastic assist from Christian Eriksen. Arsenal came straight back into it. But now nah, at the end of it, it was just horrible. And I came outside the ground and an adult bounced past me uh, with a pair of shorts on and really crap socks singing Rice, Rice, Baby. I just give him a look that could kill. I actually said to him, your socks are absolutely shit. <laughs> I, I try to get him off guard, do you know what I mean? Because he's, he's bouncing around. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I think I, I caught him verbally. Right. But yeah. people were walking past because they spill you straight out into the Arsenal fans. They're obviously delighted. You're surrounded by this euphoria of which you're playing no part of at all. And you're hearing like, wait, look at the monkeys and all that. And you're seeing all sorts. And some people had a drink and some people haven't. It was horrible. You walked down the ramp and back to where the coaches were. I actually carried on walking. I walked all the way to Euston Station. It took me an hour. It was a beautiful day in London, as we saw yesterday as well. And I walked right down Caledonian Road. I I just, I like doing stuff like that over the canals, seeing restaurants from, from Ethiopia, from Eritrea, fish and chips ones as well, which you assume come from closer to home. Walking past the Rocket at Euston where Manchester United fans were in fine voice. Train back to Manchester was packed. The players were on my train. They got off um, en route. But I, I mean, I'm not going to talk anymore they? about it. No, I wasn't. I was in... Um, in economy, trying to do a bit of work because obviously I couldn't work in the game because I was in the way and you can't take your computer in there, can you? That foot would have kicked it out of the way. Well, the foot would have kicked it out of the way. You see things differently in there because when you're in the press box, you have the luxury of, of instant replays in, in a lot of the stadiums. You have your fast Wi-Fi and people watching on screens at home or you in the press box would have seen with far more conviction whether it was a penalty or not. I was 150 metres away. You, you can't really tell. No, you just have to listen to Eric Ten Hag afterwards to understand uh, whether it was a penalty or not, and whether it was offside or not, and whether the, I don't know, every single decision there was, whether it was a throw-in to Arsenal after 10 minutes or not. I couldn't do that, could I? Because he had a cockney bouncing past me singing Vanilla Ice. Where am I going <laughs> to listen to Eric Ten Hag? I don't mean you to listen to him, I just mean that Eric Ten Hag had a lot to say about the referee after the game, that was all. All three of you were there. Carl, as we found out over the last couple of nights, you had to lock yourself in a cubicle at the Emirates to calm down. Um, Andy mentioned something there about Onana. And actually, since um, Sunday, it's been revealed that his 42 passes against Arsenal was the most that a United keeper has ever made in the Premier League since records began. Is it a good thing? It's a show of respect from Arsenal. First half, there were two or three times where 
Arsenal player, you know, Eddie Nketiah kind of tried to press Onana before realising it's not worth it and dropped deeper into a, into a more compact shape. Onana, you know, did get forward, did, did stand on the D of the penalty area and, and Arsenal were happy not to press him because they didn't want to push up too much and leave space in behind because they know what Onana can do passing long range. So this is, this is one of the really big changes United are going to have this season in that they've got a very press-resistant goalkeeper who sometimes can make you know make things very very stressful, but already teams as good as Arsenal are showing him respect by going, we're not going to press you because we know you can beat the first wave of pressure. We're going to drop deep to make sure you can't hit a very good long pass to Marcus Rashford and catch us on a counter attack. Was the plan good, Laurie? Your match review, which dropped on on Monday, started with it would be easy for the bedlam in the final stages at the Emirates to cloud the vision on Eric Ten Hag's team. Eric Ten Hag said the performance was very good, was it? I wouldn't go that far. Very good to me implies, you know, you're, you're stopping Arsenal, but you're also creating against them. And, and that was the bit that was missing. Um, I mean, until Rasmus Hoyland came on, which we might touch on after this. But I thought the original game plan, I think he'd been bruised by that defeat to Arsenal in January, where it was a bit more end-to-end, but basically Arsenal overwhelmed United ultimately. And they were the better team, clearly. You know, they deserved to win that game. And I think he thought, I'm going to make sure that we don't um, lose this game before we have a chance to win it. And that was where the passing around the back came from. I mean, those half-time statistics were incredible, you know, 56% possession, but, you know, like half the amount of passes in Arsenal's uh, half as, as Arsenal had done in United's half, um, you know, more passes completed by United. You know, the Martinez, Lindelof, Onana were all up there for most passes completed by any player in the game. Um, but yeah, it felt too skewed towards, you know, trying to draw out whatever Arsenal were doing. And as Carl's touched on, they, they kind of weren't really going for it. They were waiting their moment quite um, smartly. Um, you know, they kind of bored Arsenal into a mistake um, with Kai Havertz giving it to Christian Eriksen and really clinical from United. And that is the kind of transition football we, you know, I meant to mention that word in, in pre-season, but that was, you know, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer sort of era. So it was a kind of mesh of, of Lou van Gaal sideways passing and then uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer counter-attacking. Um, I don't know if that's exactly what Tanag's going for, but I think afterwards he was, I think it was fair that he said, he explained his game plan. So I wouldn't go as far as saying it was very good what they actually did, but the idea behind it was, I could see what he was trying to do in that the next bit was just where it fell down in that you know the midfielders and the wingers weren't necessarily moving into the right spaces or the players on the ball didn't have the confidence or the execution to pick that pass and, and make Arsenal then turn around and kind of be going backwards. That then did change with Hoyland, you know, coming on and United got around him for the second balls and they had a bit more of an outlet for that pass up high. But uh, for the first half, it, it was quite tedious at times. Yeah, we'll talk about Hoyland a little bit more in a moment because it definitely was a very promising uh, aspect from from Sunday's game, but and it just continues this record away against the the top nine teams from last season in the Premier League. We've had two more matches against those teams this season, having not beat any of them last year, drawn one of those games, and we've lost them both. So it's still not right, is it? Still not good enough. It's not right. No, I, I just fully expected United to lose the game on Sunday. I thought the first half at, at Tottenham was good. I can see. Um, logic in some of the things that, that Eric Ten Hag said, but still walked out of that stadium having conceded three goals, which was the same as last season, following the defeat from the season before that. 
and one the season before that, and the performances have been pretty poor there. So it's not good. United, if they were to improve this season, needed to start landing a punch on some of those teams away from home. And that has yet to happen. It's not to say it won't happen. And the team's still bedding in. It was a debut for a player we all hope will become a key player very quickly. But we're being asked to speak about it a few days after another defeat. You look at the league table, you see Manchester United in the middle. Six points behind some other team already. And I probably sound a lot less optimistic than I did at the start of the season because because that's how I feel. Or maybe it's because of all the other negative stuff as well in the Manchester United orbit. Any hopes that we'd have some respite with it being International Week have been completely shattered. There's literally a story every day, and usually a negative one, dropping around Manchester United. And that's because the club is so big. There's that much interest in this soap opera. It's the opposite of Manchester City's winning machine, which people find quite boring. It engages us as journalists. We 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 get work from this as well. But honestly, I've not enjoyed the last few weeks being being a United fan and a journalist covering United. I've just not enjoyed it. No. Um, let's bring the tone up momentarily, Carl, if we can. How good was Rasmus Hoyland? Really promising, yeah. It, it, one of the joys of the Emirates press box is it, it's pretty close to the dugout. It's not, not quite Amex level, but you can get a real feel for for the scale of some of these players. And Hoyland is, he's a big lad. Uh, and he did two or three off-ball runs where he is running at full pace. And it's its the fastest I've seen in a while. It was faster than Valtvegos. It was faster than Anthony Martial. Dare I say, it was even faster than Cristiano Ronaldo's sprints. Oh, okay, albeit 36-year-old Cristiano Ronaldo. So maybe if it was back in the day, Ronaldo, they might be neck and neck. But Hoyland is, he's going to be a physical threat for Manchester United going forward. Do you know on that actually? Who was the last one who was as quick as this? That's as a... an out and out centre forward. I mean, would you say Rashford? I mean, is, is that different player? Surely Rashford's quicker, or, or... Yeah, 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 yeah. And he's he's played that position, but in terms of having that as a number nine, a true centre forward, when was the last time United had to quit one of them? You probably have to go back to Rooney, right? And even then, Rooney was. Mm. Yeah, Rooney could bulldoze, Rooney. couldn't they? Rooney, Rooney was yeah, terrifying. Yeah, yeah, when, yeah. when he That's came fun. on for Everton against United at Old Trafford, um, early doors, he, he just got the ball and ran. And I think Gary Neville was playing against him and just looked terrified. And that, that I, I think, Carl, I'm, I'm right in saying that, that kind of... He didn't do anything like that Hoyland against Arsenal, but he at least looked like he could carry that kind of threat. Yeah, he got into, he got into a scrap with, with Gabriel. And I do remember in the 3-1 victory at Old Trafford last season, Rashford was playing up front, more or less, and he, you know, Rashford wasn't getting too much joy from those centre backs until he sort of drifted out to the left and then hit forward to get that goal. Whereas Hoyland, you can see he's going to be able to pin back a centre back, if not two, and that's going to create more space for like of Bruno Fernandes, for the likes of Marcus Rashford. It's not perfect yet, you know. There was a cross from Rashford at Hoyland. I think Hoyland was trying to run back post, and Rashford was trying to play the ball in near post, so it created this weird kerfuffle, and then Hoyland had to get for a, for a back heel there. But I'm excited by him. I, I I certainly hope he's going to be fit enough to play 90 minutes against Brighton. Uh, and I'm definitely going to be in contact with some Danish journalists over the international break and see how he gets on for his national team. His mum was a runner, you know. Okay. And he was, yeah, I've been speaking to people in Denmark. She was a runner. His dad was a footballer. His brothers are obviously footballers. 
and he was a mm. very That's just a good, aren't they? Younger yeah. brothers. Here's a good one for you, Laurie. He was a good swimmer when he was a kid. Oh, I, thought, <laughs> I thought I saw some shoulders on him. There it yeah. is. Yeah. I thought, thought I saw that chlorine affected hair. Do you reckon came higher than you? Like the top 200 in your village for your age group? <laughs> hey, come to Cheshire and do it, Rasmus. There we go. I thought there it was Stockport that you swam for. It's Stockport Metro, yeah, but the Cheshire's was like our regional uh, gala competition. The Cheshire's. What, what was your high point? What was your high point, Laurie? Yeah, winning a, winning a few races at the Cheshire's. <laughs> Never made nationals. The Cheshire's. I mean, went to went to Birkenhead actually one time. In the we, we used to play this. We used to swim in this competition called the Diddy League, which was against Liverpool. Uh, and so there's quite a lot of rivalry. So that was that that added to the. The standard doesn't sound high in the Diddy League. The, I have to it say it was just for, it was for eight years to twelve years. Okay. Then uh, Liverpool won every year, but one time Stockport Metro went across went across to Merseyside and came back champions, and that was beautiful. We've not had a gala update for a while, so I, I feel it was time. Um, just on Onana, Carl, um, he's returning to international football. He's been called up by Cameroon. He's going to be in their squad. They're taking on Burundi for a place at AFCON. What does this mean for United? Because the benefit of him not playing international football was that United didn't have to worry about any of this sort of stuff. And actually now it could be a bit of an issue for them later on in the campaign. Yeah, this is a tricky one. So Onana got sent back early from Cameroon's World Cup camp after a bust-up with Rigobo Song and for all intents and purposes he looked like he was never going to play for his national team again. The call-up for this AFCON game seems to have taken him by surprise. He did a post on Instagram that made it kind of obvious he wasn't too happy about it but it, it you know Cameroon it, it's quite rare for a player to formally retire properly. You sort of just stop being selected rather than release a statement saying please don't select me. Um, it's a bit similar to the Brazil national team. It's, it's sort of dishonourable to say you don't want to ever come up and you just age out the team. So it feels as if, to me, and this is less, you know, this is me trying to put two and two together. It feels as if, to me, Song's decided Anana's too good to, to leave at home, so I'm going to bring him back into camp, see if I can patch things up, see if we can get over the line and qualify for AFCON, and then maybe we'll sort things out. So it's the same manager as well, then? It is the same manager as well. I mean, Song is... Oof. Song is... You know, a national hero in Cameroon. Absolutely, yeah. It's, but it, a, he's not a national hero to Andre Onana no, after the World no. Cup, I imagine. And it's one of those situations where if Onana had said no, he probably, he he, it's less likely he's going to be bought beer in your own day, shall we say. Yes. Um, so, so this is a game that's going to happen on the 12th. It's winner take all. Both uh, Cameroon and Burundi have four points in their AFCON qualifying group. Uh, Cameroon should be the favourites for this. And if, if they win, off they go, you know, they're going to go to AFCON in Ivory Coast in early January. So, and again, I can't quite work out the, the groups, you know, when the group stages and the knockouts end, but he will miss at least two games towards the end of January if Cameroon qualify and if Song decides to take him in that AFCON squad. Those are two big ifs. They, you know, something, you know, Cameroon can lose that game or during the time where, where Anana's on camp, he might not even play and he might continue to have a bust up with Song. So, it's very important to say this isn't for definite going to be oh no no missing out Manchester United duty for FCON duty but yeah the story I saw was that he could miss up to seven matches if Cameroon are successful at the Africa Cup of Nations and he goes um, the the league games against Tottenham Wolves West Ham and Aston Villa were the ones he could potentially mm-hmm. miss so that's why Eric Ten Hag 
sanctioned the move for Altai Bayandir, I guess, Andy, because he is a first-choice goalkeeper or he has been a first-choice goalkeeper in his career. Do we do we know much about this guy? Because, you know, amidst everything that's happened over the last two or three weeks at United, he's sort of arrived to, to not much of a fanfare. Amrabat's got attention. Even probably Johnny Evans has got more attention and, and, and Regulon as well. I mean, what do we know about this Turkish keeper that, that is now the United number one? He's played at a very high level. He played for a, a huge club in Fenerbahce, so he's he's used to the pressure and intensity of playing in in one of the loudest stadiums in the world. Actually, that and and Galatasaray uh, in Istanbul, as United fans will find out again in the Champions League, it, it is you know top ten in the world. And when your team don't win, it gets a little bit crazy there. So I think there's quite a few players at Manchester United who struggling with pressure or have struggled with pressure. He is someone who's played in an extremely pressured um, situation. The manager wanted him. Um, when Dean Henderson said that he wanted first-team football, because we wind back a month, I said I thought Dean Henderson would stay. And I had that on good authority at the time before he went to Crystal Palace to be number two to Sam Johnson. And the manager needed um, a, a goalkeeper who he totally trusted. And... He's gone for him. I think the price was a good one. I know that Manchester United looked at other goalkeepers. I know they spoke to agents. I know that United had a figure in mind what they could pay for the number two goalkeeper in terms of wages. I know that one person was approached and the figure came back and that was the end of the conversation because he earned far, far too much. But I'm pretty happy um, with him. I need to see him. I need to speak to more Turkish people about him. I've seen him play a couple of times. I've never seen him play alive. And I need to speak to some goalkeeping coaches uh, about him as well. Have you seen much of him, Carl? Not too much. I've seen I've seen a couple of you know highlight reels of him. Do we know if his style's similar to Onana in terms of his, his ability with his feet? Because that's such a key part of United's early season plan. He is not a part of the same level as Onana, but please well, bear is? in mind. Yeah, yeah, there you go. That's the answer, right? No Manchester United goalkeeper in Premier League history, according to the stat book from the weekend. There you go. I will say he is. He can be a bit of a sweeper keeper. He he, he is someone who, in those transitional okay. moments, if the ball comes out and he thinks, I'm going to run out here and try and put in an early tackle. Again, not to the level of Manuel Neuer, but in the way Manuel Neuer used to do, where he sort of jumps out half, you know, halfway out of his penalty area to make a tackle. He can do that a little bit. His shot stopping is okay, from what I've seen in these in these highlight things, where he, he's got two or three fantastic saves, and he's also got two or three flubs in there. Um, and he, he, he claims crosses as well, which I think is quite useful, because Arsenal did direct a lot of crosses towards the back stick against United, and that worried me a little bit. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Well, as I'm sure you've seen in the news, um, we need to talk about Anthony because he's been withdrawn from the Brazilian squad for this international break amid allegations of domestic violence from his former partner, Gabriela Cavallin. Anthony has since denied the allegations on social media, but there are now two live police investigations, one in Brazil and one in the UK. Uh, United made a statement earlier on today saying that they acknowledge the allegations made against Anthony and note that the police are conducting inquiries. Pending further information, the club will be making no further comments. They say as a club, they're taking the matter very seriously and they're also giving consideration to the impact of the allegations and the reporting on them as well uh, that that could have on the survivors of abuse. Um, Laurie, in terms of the statement, it's... It's fairly brief. Um, there's no mention of a suspension for Anthony. Do we know what the club's process is on this now? Well, I would assume, um, and we've asked the question, is he suspended, um, that he isn't because they haven't said that. And when Mason Greenwood was uh, arrested, when the social media post came out, um, there was a, it was quite close, wasn't it, together? I think they actually... Uh, released a statement saying that he wouldn't be at Carrington, would be training with United before he was arrested, but it was later that day, so it was in close proximity. Um, Anthony hasn't been arrested, he denies the charges. Um, the players are off right now. Um, Eric Ten Hag is away from Carrington, so at the moment, there's perhaps not something immediate to uh, for United to deal with as such, um, in terms of Anthony actually being allowed to train or, or what kind of decision they make on that. Um, clearly, Brazil have, making the, have made the decision to take him out of their squad, so they've they've acted in that way. Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how United actually handle this. But as as it stands, as we uh, know it, uh, he hasn't been suspended. Okay, another issue for Eric Ten Hag to deal with. He, they seem to be mounting up at the moment, don't they, Andy? Jaden Sancho, we need to talk about as well. Obviously, after that game at Arsenal at the weekend, Eric Ten Hag said that he was left out of the squad because of the way that he trained during the week in isolation. The the comment didn't seem uh, too severe, to be honest. Jack Lang has done a fascinating piece on The Athletic about the whole situation, really, and the impact of, of mental health in football with football players, Jaden Sancho in particular, and, of course, the issues that he has reportedly had in the past as well. It's a mess again, isn't it, really? Jaden Sancho's obviously done his statement on Twitter as well. What do we make of all of this? I'm not convinced it was good for the manager to say what he did do. It's a slight deviation from his normal style where he's protective and he keeps things in-house. But I don't think he was as much as fault as Jadon Sancho, who claims that he is a scapegoat and has long been a scapegoat. I fail to figure out who from. From the fans? No. 
United fans have been very supportive and will continue to be. If he came back to Old Trafford, he'd be supported. I want him to do well. I think all United fans want him to do well. He's not done as well as everybody hoped he would have done since that huge signing, the fee that came with it from Borussia Dortmund. Fans were so excited when, when he came. And I know for a fact that Eric Ten Hag has worked really hard with him. He's been empathetic to him. He's developed a relationship with him. And those were not the actions of someone who wanted to get rid of Jadon Sancho. United would have sold Sancho, by the way, this summer. If a bid would have come in which was significant enough, he would have been let go. That bid was never coming in because he's not doing enough to justify a big bid and he's on huge wages as well. When we spoke to him as journalists, really polite, pleasant lad, it's a year, almost to the day, since he scored the winner at Leicester following a goal against Liverpool. And he came through and spoke to us under the main stand and he spoke about why Ten Hag was working for him. Tactically, he felt that he had more freedom under the new manager than previous managers. So he was very praiseworthy of him. I think the whole thing's a bit unfortunate. I don't think it was a good idea to put that statement out there, but it is out there and I don't think he, he is a scapegoat. I think Ten Hag put a lot of time and effort into helping him uh, last autumn when his form deteriorated rapidly after that game in Cyprus and he went off to the Netherlands as well. I wish him well. I mean, he's human. He might make mistakes. He might regret it. He might stand by it. I've seen that he's pinned it, so he's he's doubling down on it. But I don't think he's a scapegoat, in my opinion. The other lads might have a different view. Carl, I mean, the obvious next question for me is to ask, do you think he's played his last game for Manchester United under Eric Ten Hag? I think certainly previous Manchester United managers that would have been an absolute given. Um, I feel like the way that Ten Hag has has managed Jadon Sancho, the situation may be slightly more nuanced. I mean, what do you make of it all? It's difficult. I didn't realise that Jadon Sancho had pinned that tweet, which, again, made my eyebrows rise. I going, okay, that's... <laughs> Get under yeah. the social media uh, that's, that's, knowledge. That's I'm really surprised he knows what a pinned tweet is, I'll be honest. <laughs> well, to be honest, I've learned how to put more than one picture in my Instagram story, thanks to Andy. So he is teaching us things about... The social media they world. <laughs> I'm on a right run with technology this week, aren't I, boys? Andy having daughters, isn't it, mate? <laughs> I, I even just that to double check that it'd been pinned. <laughs> <laughs> but, I wondered what you were doing. I could see you searching something. Yeah. <laughs> and it has been pinned, so it so backs up the point. Know, Sancho truly <laughs> believes this, and I've, and, you know, I've now got off the viewpoint where, unfortunately, I think both people believe they're correct. I think Jade and Sancho does believe he trained very well that week. And I think Eric Ten Hag also believes that Sancho has not trained very well. So there needs to be... I would like to think there's a way this situation can get resolved. I would like to you know, believe there's a way where Jadon Sancho knocks on Ten Hag's door. Ten Hag, you know, he's openly talked about how his door is always open. I'd like to think there's a way Sancho can knock on the door and go, look, the, the transfer window is closed. I, I can't see... Jadon Sancho going to Saudi Arabia. I can't see him going to Turkey. And those are the two major transfer windows open at the moment. I can't see him moving either way. So Sancho has to resolve this if he wants to play football again between now and January. And I would like to think at some point in time, he knocks on Ten Hag's door and says, if I didn't train well enough, what is the thing I'm not seeing? And Ten Hag can talk to him about that. Then you get into the tactical problem, which is at this point in time, he's not going to play on the left-hand side because Rashford's... 
was in good goal scoring from against Nottingham Forest and against Arsenal. And Garnacho has now proven himself a very, very good option off the bench. So that left-hand side is done. He's not going to play in the number 10 role because that's Bruno Fernandes' spot. The right-hand side, possibly, you could play there. But there's been... I quite like him on the right-hand side, but I don't think he, he, he gels well with Wan-Bissaka at the moment. I'm not sure if it works really well with Dallow. And this false nine role doesn't really work at the moment because, well, Hoyland is here. So... It's. And I think this is also the thing where Sancho can believe he trained really well, but where are you going to play? You don't have. He doesn't necessarily have the pace to, to beat a left back, which means the right hand side is really difficult. And if he wants to play as number ten, he needs a bunch of runners around him. And I, I don't think he's ever going to be an effective number ten in the same way Bruno Fernandez is. So, yeah, like okay, you're not. It's not just your training needs to be good enough, but your training needs to be outstanding to get that right hand spot space. Yeah, Laurie, you said before that Ten Hag's away at the moment. My goodness, has he got a lot to deal with when he gets back again? <laughs> I guess he's having a breather, right? I mean, it's only sort of Think four about weeks him the being season, inclined to wow. stay wherever he is, to be honest, for a little bit longer. <laughs> yeah, he's got a lot to deal with and he needs to, this is a, a very delicate time really for him because, um, you know, United have won two, lost two, the two games that they've won, they've, they've you know, not looked convincing in it has to be said okay maybe you could say they're a little bit unfortunate in a couple of the, the losses but this kind of issue is is a big one you know he had this issue with Cristiano Ronaldo uh, at the start of last season and that ended with Cristiano Ronaldo leaving the club Anthony Martial had this issue with Ralph Ranić in a very similar way you know perception of uh, an injury or, or what was reported to be an injury you know before a game against Aston Villa uh, Ranić went out publicly Martial snapped back Ranić left the club because he was interim manager. So whenever there's this kind of level of friction, tension, you know, probably a stronger word than that actually right now because Sancho's not making that post lightly. You know, I know that, and as Andy said, he's pinned it. <laughs> so he's, he's this is obviously something that has been stewing for a little bit of time. You're not suddenly, you know, out of the blue. Okay, he said one. Sanago said one thing. You know, in a press conference. Uh, you know, we can debate whether he should have said it or not. But I think Tenag clearly, from his perspective, has thought, well, I probably have said stuff privately. You know, I sent him away to Netherlands last season to try and, you know in a compassionate way we're told to try and get him back on to the the form that I want from him I think it's pretty clear it can't just be about the way he trained last week can it you know I know that's become like the focus of the the conversation yeah but... yeah it's, it's a lingering thing there's, there's, there's timekeeping issues aren't there we've, we've touched on this before you know I think that was part of the reason uh, why um, Sancho went to Holland last last um, season as, as well as other things but Ten Hag's done that before with Marcus Rashford so he's obviously not going to be um, shy about doing it with Jaden Sancho, who's not as pivotal to his team. I mean, he, he would say he treats all players um, equally in that regard. But clearly, there's, there's other aspects to it. But then, you know, Sancho's come out so strongly in response, you know, quickly after the press conference. I, I wonder if he knew Tenag was going to say something after the game. You know, I think people got wind before the game even that Tenag might say something about Sancho's uh, absence. Um, Scott McTominay was also out, but he, he's ill. Yeah, it does feel like, I mean, when everybody comes back to carry. And that that meeting between they're going to have to have a meeting surely to try and clear the air. Or, or does Tenag just just think? Well, I've said what I've said. You said what you said. Come in and train, and let's see how it goes. You know, from that point on, um, you know, managers have done this kind of tactic before. Jose Mourinho would would famously do it, wouldn't he? he wouldn't explain his decisions to players as to why they've been left out or why he'd said certain things in public. Um, he just expected them to understand and then get better. Yeah, that was a terrible tactic from Mourinho, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I would, I really want those two to have a conversation. And also, there was a bit where where Sancho said he thinks something steeper at playing doesn't really want to get into yeah, it. Yeah, that was interesting. And 
I, I really want Sancho. Well, if Sancho is comfortable, I want him to get into that. I really want him to to, to express the tumult that's been been going on. We, I remember you said um, last season when Rank was in charge. I believe Sancho had a disagreement with Rannick because Rannick disclosed um, news about Sancho not being available because he was grieving the loss of a family friend. So this is this seems to be a ongoing discord between what Sancho would prefer to have happen and what Manchester United managers are, are disclosing about his private life. So that's quite difficult. I think Jack Lang, I said before, his piece is intriguing on The Athletic. If you've got a subscription, you should have by now. If you listen to this podcast, go and have a look at Jack's piece. There's a section towards the end of it as well where he shares his personal experience of some of the issues that, that he's had over the last couple of years. And I, I think it's a, a very compelling read. In the meantime, of course, we'll keep an eye on exactly what happens with, with Jadon Sancho or Ten Hagen and Manchester United. Off the pitch as well, Andy, yet more stuff for Manchester United to deal with. Talk over the weekend that the Glazer family weren't interested in selling Manchester United after all, that they want to wait until 2025 and get something like £10 billion for United. I mean, these figures are just getting dafter and dafter. And actually, that report almost alone saw the share price fall by £550 million, roughly. It was the worst drop that the club has ever had since they were floated on the stock exchange back in 2012. Even global sport coming to a halt during the pandemic didn't see the share price drop that much. Another mess, again, another situation that, okay, it's not in Ten Hag's control this time, but the whole sort of mood and uncertainty around the club is just going to continue. They're serious figures. Laurie could have brought... Six cocktails with that sort of money. (laughs) (laughs) We continue to hear conflicting reports about the future of the club. In the last month, there has been headline news to say a deal will be done by October. And then we saw the, the more recent one done in the Mail on Sunday, which led people to believe that the Glazers want to somehow cling on to power. I believe the only people who truly know what is going on here are Joel and Avram Glazer. I I think the the knowledge base on this is so tight that I'm not even convinced the bankers who they've been appointed uh, to 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 get some sort of sale truly know what is going on. As I understand it, within Manchester United, the staff think it is business as usual, as in the strategic review continues and doubts would be uh, raised about the story on Sunday because. There's a thousand staff at Manchester United. They consume the media and they're like, what is happening? And that's what I'm led to believe from the club perspective. I'm not even convinced everyone at, at, at the club truly knows what's going on either. It's down to a couple of people. As a United fan, I would love to see a resolution to this. I would love to see some more clarity, some more communication. I don't expect that from the Glazers at all. This is a modus operandi. It has been for a long, long time. We don't truly know what they're thinking because they never tell us. And stuff they have told us in the past when they came out and did a spurt of communications after the botched effort to join the European Super League. Well, half of that has turned out to be lies since. So why should we believe what they're, they're going to say anyway? There is a cloud hanging over Manchester United and it is because of the ongoing Glazer ownership. It continues to frustrate fans because of the instability. And we speak about it every other week and we're none the wiser. And while this goes on and on and on, 
The stadium redevelopment just gets kicked down the road even more. Uh, I actually thought it would disrupt the summer transfers more than it did. I was wrong there. I think it was pretty normal who Manchester United ended up going for in the summer. But yeah, it's... Uh, it's an unholy mess. Yeah, it certainly is. There's an explainer about what happened with that report and the share price over the weekend from Matt Slater on The Athletic. So if you want to know more about that, go and have a read of that piece. Um, another piece that dropped over the weekend, and thank you, Andy, for mentioning the summer transfer window, uh, was a piece that you contributed to, Laurie, with uh, our mate Critch. And it was all about Manchester United's summer transfer window, the players that came, how they came, um, when they came, why they came, the ones they missed out on. Some fascinating detail in there, including a couple of targets that they missed out on and including a lot of back injuries, bizarrely. Yeah, so um, Sophie and Amrabat, um, it was revealed, uh, colleague James Hornscastle, I think, was um, the provider of this information, that so during the medical, uh, yeah, there was a back issue that was raised. Um, you know, It seems to be a recurring theme with... United uh, new signings, obviously. Are you sure that yeah, sure they're not just using using the same machine because the Glazers haven't brought a new one and just printing out the same <laughs> X-ray and they're all actually the same and flagging up the same little back issue. Outside by Andy, um, Rasmus Hoyland and Sofian Amrabat all with back injuries. That's bizarre. I mean, one other issue that I've sort of heard a little bit more this summer is is that you know clubs sometimes when there's a player that has had an issue on a medical, they'll, they'll try and renegotiate. So some, some clubs use it as a bit of leverage at the very final end of a, of a deal that's, that's going to go through. Uh, I mean, in the end, United paid, you know, a 10 million euro loan fee, which was what Fiorentina always demanded um, from uh, Sofia and Amrabat. Um, I thought that because it was a, a large loan fee, that meant that they could keep it as a, a full option rather than obligation. Um, but, you know, United... So that is that is the case, but I think I think Fiorentina, whatever op- option obligation, we're always after ten million euro as, as an upfront payment. There's that one. I mean, I did see Sofian Amrabat in the pool uh, with uh, Sergio Regula um, at Carrington. What were you so, doing in you know, the pool? Whatever issue. Well, he he posted it on Instagram. You know, Andy <laughs> told me how to look at people's stories on Instagram, so I thought uh, I'd I'd have a have a little look at that. And uh, it's, so yeah, hopefully the the warm uh, soothing temperatures of, of the jacuzzi or the, the ice bath whichever one you need uh, hopefully that's sorted out whatever back issue but it's a minor thing and he's, he's away with Morocco I think now um, so uh, yeah so there's that in the piece which I thought was really interesting also uh, Paulinha we're told that he was another midfielder that Eric Ten Hag liked the look of so you know was there a world where you know instead of going to Bayern Munich and getting turned back after Fulham couldn't find a replacement uh, where Scott McTominay was one of their uh, shots of, of a replacement United actually signed Paulinho and then sell Bayern Munich uh, Scott McTominay instead. You know, Bayern Munich were in for Scott McTominay. So it was quite an interesting sort of musical chairs that was, was going on. I, I think ultimately United and, and Ten Hag said after the Arsenal game, Sofian Amrabat was the one he, he wanted. Um, but it, it, it was interesting that he, he also said the word compromise uh, in the answer uh, in terms of Amrabat because he was saying that in that number six, he's, he's wanted that all summer. Um, alongside Casemiro maybe but also instead of Casemiro to take the, the weight off him um, he's had players that would have to do that but it would be a compromise before then so Mason Mount Christian Eriksen uh, maybe even Bruno Fernandes when he's played a bit deeper uh, which I thought was interesting given you know that Mason Mount was the first signing so um, yeah kind of a little bit it just showed a little bit more that you know clearly his his uh, role at United needs to be defined. 
Yeah, well, if you want to know more, again, about that, there's lots of interesting detail in there. An extensive read about Manchester United's summer transfer window. That's up on The Athletic now. Laurie, I need to pull you up on something, though. I spoke to my friend Ziad over the weekend, who works for Being Sports, who are, of course, the Premier League rights holders for MENA. Um, that's the Middle East and North Africa, if you've got no idea what I mean. It's not Amrabat. Sofian Amrabat. Do it again, mate. Sofian Amrabat. Top man. Amrabat. Sofian Amrabat. I mean, let's have it right. We're, we're saying Eric Ten Hag wrong. So, you know, I would love to be a master <laughs> linguist and say everyone's name. You'd love to be a what, master. sorry? Um, yeah. A master linguist. Uh, Andy, do you want to have a go? No. I'll, I'll learn it properly. Do it again. Sofian Amrabat. Sofian Amrabat. That was sounding pretty close, to be fair to you. It sounds a bit like Welsh rabbit. Amrabat. Yeah. Imrebit. Sofian Imrebit. <laughs> Carl, you just sound like you did an impression of the as opposed to actually trying to follow the pronunciation. Yeah. Well, That's Sofian one way to do Im- it, to be fair, to yeah. get the pronunciation correct. Imrebit. Yeah, Imrebit. Tilis. Uh, I've been told yeah. when I. T- one reason why I call him Mr. Tenag in press conferences is because apparently the true Dutch pronunciation is Erik. Well, I remember Ingrid, who um, was working for TV2 at the time as a reporter, Norwegian reporter. Everyone's head in the press conference fell off when she called Ole Gunnar Solskjaer Ula. And everyone was like, Ula? What? Who the hell's that? And yeah, he's not called Ole. <laughs> yeah, I got a couple of people spin their heads around when I try speaking Dutch to Tenark, yeah. so there you You're go. You're not stopping, are you, Carl? Talk. I'm getting there, getting better every day. <laughs> Okay, well, while Carl spends the international break learning Dutch, I'm going to go away and practice Rabbit's name and pronouncing it correctly. I don't know what Carl and Laurie are going to do, but what they usually do, keep their eyes very close and everything, and there is a lot going on at Manchester United at the moment. Thank you for being with us, Andy. Thank you for being with us, Laurie and Carl, as well. Keep your eyes peeled to The Athletic for the very latest on everything on Manchester United over the next few days, and we'll be back next week. Thank you for listening. Thanks for your patience waiting for us to do our shows and then come and do the podcast. It's good to be back. See you on the next one. Take care. Bye-bye. The Athletic.